let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And we are in chapter 9, so we'll get into chapter 9 here in a bit. But I, I wanted to first say something about Holy Week. This is Monday of Holy Week. So I want to challenge all of you listeners out there to ask yourself the question, how am I going to make this week different from every other week? We have our Lenten practices, our Lenten disciplines, as we've been talking about. But even within that, how are we making this week different than every other week? Because it is Holy Week. And to talk about Holy Week is to talk about holiness. What is holiness? Holiness literally translates as to be set apart, but we have defined it in the past as what? But walking in the presence of God, because to walk in the presence of God is to be what? But set apart from the world. Okay, so how is this week different from every other week? How are you going to make this week different from every other week? So this is what Holy Week should have us thinking about. Are you giving up maybe one more thing? Are you doing one more thing? Are you entering into your life of prayer just a little more? Whatever it might be, make sure that this is a holy week for you and a week that continues to help lay the foundation for what God is calling you to, huh? Because let us remember, this all points towards Easter Sunday. This all points towards what Easter Sunday is all about, new life. So if you want to know new life in Christ, then you first must know what but death. As the old ancient law prescribes, before you have life, you must first have death. And so in what ways are we dying even more to self this week, uh, Holy Week? This is a question I want you thinking about as you seek to go deeper in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, that being said, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we left off somewhere in verse 12. And for continuity purposes, what I want to do is go ahead and read verses 11 to 18. Okay, 11 to 18. If we have sown spiritual good among you, is it too much if we reap your material benefits? If others share this right, rightful claim upon you, do we not still more? Huh? Okay, so we talked about that uh, last week. Verse 12 continues. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing this to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. 
We talked about that last week. We're going to talk about it more this evening. Verse 16 continues, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do this of my own will. I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my preaching I may make the gospel free of charge, not making full use of my right in the gospel. Okay, without repeating myself and what we talked about last week, what I want to do is add a little bit to our reflection on boasting, certainly as it's the centerpiece to what Paul is talking about here. Now, we read, no one is going to nullify my boast. Many friends, boasting in the Greek world was often approved. And I think we really have to appreciate this for what it is. Was it condemned? Yes. But it was also approved. In the Septuagint, which was Paul's Bible, right? Boasting is often used for glorifying in God's gift. So let's go to a few Old Testament passages here. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 21. He is your boast and he is your God who has wrought in the midst of you these great and glorious things which your eyes have seen. How about Psalm 51, verse 12? All who love your name will boast in you. Psalm 88, verse 18, you are the boast of their strength. You see, what we have to understand, my friends, is that Paul has the Old Testament on his fingertips. And so when he's thinking about boasting, he's not putting it in, in how we might think of it in its secular context today, but no, how we boast in God, how we boast in Jesus Christ and the gift that he has given to us. How about the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 23? Let him who boasts, boast in this, in understanding and knowing that I am the Lord who exercises mercy and judgment and righteousness upon the earth. This is the stuff of boasting that Paul wishes to talk about. Huh? So Paul's boast is in the gospel that he serves, the gospel of God, the good news, the transforming message of Jesus Christ. And he boasts of his preaching, not as a job for which he will be paid, but what? As a divine commission that he must fulfill, commissio, to be sent, yes, but to be sent with, cum, with in the Latin. He was charged by the Holy Spirit. He was sent with the Holy Spirit. He is under a compulsion, my friends, for the gospel of God is what? But an overwhelming power that drives him on. When we use the word compulsion, maybe some of us think about Mother Teresa or maybe a Martin Luther King Jr. They're driven by something else, right? Well, long before a Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King, Paul had that drive. We read in his second letter to the church of Corinth in chapter 5, verse 14, that the love of Christ impelled him to do what he did, so much so that he cannot think of anything else. What does he say? Woe to me if I do not preach it. For Paul, this is truly 
a prophetic experience like that of Jeremiah, who said that the word of God was like a fire inside of him that he could not contain. Paul is driven by this fire within him that he, he cannot contain. And he must proclaim this gospel. And he will boast of it, however costly it may be. There is something outside of him that is driving him to do what he is doing. You see, my friends, to preach the gospel was not Paul's idea. To preach the gospel was not St. Paul's initiative. This seems to be the best understanding of that phrase in verse 17, if I do so willingly, that is, by my own choice. His reward is not found in anything of the material realm, but what? But of righteousness. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8? That the crown of righteousness awaits him on that day, the day of judgment. So essentially, he says his recompense is about receiving the crown of righteousness. And he has come to preach the gospel free of charge. This is what has been granted to him. You see, my friends, for St. Paul, the reward for preaching the gospel is the very preaching of it, free of charge. Giving up his rights was not a burden to him if it promoted the gospel. So St. Paul was different here, right? He was wanting the church to open itself up to see and appreciate this much deeper spiritual truth that when you give up what you have in solidarity with your brothers and sisters in Christ who have less, you are doing something so much greater. And that greater is stepping into the feet of Christ and living as he lived. And so this is the great vocation. This is the great exhortation that St. Paul models for all priests and all ministers of the gospel truth. You know, this discussion about being compelled, being driven, having this interior fire, I think might be something that a lot of us have experienced. If you are in the arena of preaching and teaching, evangelizing and catechizing, maybe you have experienced this. What else is it that compels us? We bear witness to the fire that burns within us, and amen to that because it is a gift given freely by God. But I think something else is going on here. If it is a gift that is given by God, a gift that is the Holy Spirit, what are we talking about here? Well, living in the presence of God. Presence. You know, my friends, often when I think about this, I go to my experience as a father of four children. And uh, in particular, how my children just want to be in my presence. It doesn't really matter what we are doing, but as long as we are in the presence of one another is where we receive the joy, is where we receive the peace, is where we receive that sense of belonging, right? My oldest daughter loves to play games, loves to play games, card games, board games, other kind of games she hates, right? She just loves to play games. And I tell you what, she could probably play games until sunrise the next day. And point of fact, 
she would never stop playing games until I told her it was time to stop playing games, right? What is going on? That she loves to play games? Yeah, that's part of it. But it's more about being in the presence of dad. Who she's playing the game with, huh? And that sense of joy, that sense of peace comes from the fact that she's playing with her father. And I think that's part of what's going on here when it comes to preaching and teaching, evangelizing, catechizing. Yes, we're doing the work of God by His goodness and by His grace, for sure. But also that by doing it, we are in His presence. And this is what brings us joy. This is what brings us peace. And this, I think, is kind of the bottom line. I was talking about holiness earlier, how holiness is to walk in the presence of God. There's something about that definition that has always grabbed me because in the end, that is what our Christian in Catholic vocation is about, right? To just walk in the presence of God and be content with nothing more but then to walk in the presence of God. So when our preaching and teaching is caught up in this walk with God, walking in the presence of God, we are compelled, we are driven to continue to do nothing more but to preach and to teach in the presence of God. Okay, how about these verses 19 to 23? For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being without law towards God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. I have become all things to save at least some. This is the essence of what evangelization is all about, is it not? He gives these examples of what he does and maybe not what he would normally do, but why does he do it? What drives him? What compels him? But the salvation of souls. What another great challenge that is before us as Christians and as Catholics is what we do driven by that single truth, the salvation of all souls, and to the point of doing things that we wouldn't normally do. As St. Paul describes here, is St. Paul under the illusion that he's going to save everyone who he comes into contact with? No. I have become all things to all to save at least some, some. You see, my friends, we read all throughout the book of Acts that wherever St. Paul went, when he was done preaching, when he was done teaching, some followed him and some went the other way. Maybe some of us struggle when, when we don't convince everyone about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, brothers and sisters, we can only do what we can do, right? We cannot force evangelization. We cannot force conversion. We cannot coerce conversion. We cannot browbeat. But no, we can only 
propose, invite, and pray that by God's grace, the Holy Spirit might invade the soul that we are preaching and teaching to. Huh? Don't think that it is a failure if you have not won a soul over for Christ immediately. And who are we to know that maybe we didn't plant a seed that months and years down the road would lead to a very authentic conversion in Christ? We do not know. So I think it's important to note that as St. Paul is talking about the importance of stepping outside of our comfort zone in our work for evangelization, it doesn't always mean that we're going to convert everyone we come into contact with. Now, about that stepping out of our comfort zone, what is Paul essentially saying here? We walk through the door of the person who has invited us into their home, and hopefully when we leave their home, they are following us. And by way of image, that is what St. Paul is talking about. Meet people where they are at, and then over time, we hope that they follow us. And do I mean this literally? Well, in some cases, maybe, that they literally might follow us, right? But more metaphorically, when we leave that encounter, we have indeed planted a seed, and we might have that person thinking differently about the Christian and Catholic faith where now they might be asking new questions, reading new books, and engaging the Christian Catholic faith in a new way. That is what I mean by having them follow us, which in the end is what? But having them hopefully following the gift and grace of the Holy Spirit. So often we have these encounters in our everyday life, and we ask God, what was the meaning of that encounter? Well, if we are walking in the presence of God, hopefully we have opened a new door for them. Hopefully, by entering into conversation with them and entering into that conversation in a way where we actually listen to them, we then respond to what they said and we give them new things to think about. That is what I mean by walking through the door they open. The walking through the door they open is listening to what they have to say, okay? And then when we respond to have them follow you is to actually have them listen to what you're saying. And again, literally, they might continue the conversation and actually follow you on the path to the Christian Catholic faith. But even then, it could just be, like I said before, a new question that leads for so many to new beginnings. All right, now, I read for you verse 22 there. I have become all things to all to save at least some. But then Paul adds something else in verse 23. Not only is his preaching of the gospel something that offers salvation to others, but my friend, St. Paul himself knows that he also will have a share in its fruit himself as he shares it with others. You see, my friends, when given away... Material gifts no longer belong to the given. When shared, spiritual gifts grow in the one sharing. This is a law of the spiritual life. There is a physical and spiritual law that what we don't use, we lose. A muscle that is never used, 
what? Atrophies, withers. A conviction never shared, my friends. Atrophies, withers. That is why you find the strongest faith in those who what? Give themselves to some kind of ministry. Even if it is an act of sharing of their faith with their families, their friends, and co-workers. You, you see, my friends, the importance of walking in the presence of God lies in this truth. That the more you give, the more you will receive. And it is a cycle in the spiritual life that simply never ends. And this is what defines the saint. The more you give, the more you receive. George Montague, uh, author of the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture, on Paul's first letter to the Church of Corinth, in this realm of thought, says this, The waters of the Jordan River feeds two seas, the smaller Sea of Galilee and the much larger Dead Sea. Fish live in abundance in the Sea of Galilee. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. The difference, he asks, the Sea of Galilee passes on the water it receives. The Dead Sea just receives without giving. Here we have a parable of life, a parable for gospel living. My dear friends, if you do not give away what rightfully belongs to God and what God has given to you, it will die. It just will die. I don't care who you are. If there's anything that the saints have taught us, it is this truth, that the more you give, the more you will live. And the less you give, quicker the death. Brothers and sisters, this truth ought to humble us. It is a truth that reminds us that all belongs to God. All is a gift. All is grace. You think you might understand something, but be rest assured, my friends, over time, if we do not train up our intellect and understanding, it will wither and die. So we are called to be disciplined and have a deep sense of self-control and self-mastery if we are going to grow in the spiritual life. And this is why Paul says what he says in the closing verses of chapter 9. Let us go there now, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air but I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So verses 24 to 27, Paul is comparing the spiritual life to what but an athletic competition. So just as training the body is a necessary part of the quest for excellence, so believers, my friends, are challenged to exert great effort in the battle against selfishness, the flesh, through what but rigorous discipline of their bodies. Certainly, for Paul, this is all the more necessary since the stakes of the Christian life are far higher than any sporting event. To be disqualified from this race, my friends, 
is to forfeit the award of heaven itself. In verse 25, Paul uses the phrase, a perishable wreath. Corinth hosted the popular Isthmian Games every other year, where winning athletes were crowned with what? But wreaths made of pine or a special species of wild celery. Paul stresses the contrast between this perishable award of dried vegetation and the imperishable crown of eternal life. And I believe this to be very important for us today. You know, I am here in a studio that is across the street from the most popular fitness center in probably all of Butte County in motion fitness. And uh, I have lots of friends that spend lots of hours over there. I myself try to get over there from time to time. But I mean lots of hours, four, five, maybe even six hours a day training to succeed in whatever competition they may find themselves in or just working out the muscles to build themselves up. And this is a good thing for sure. Being healthy, physically healthy is a good thing. You see, my friends, it is easy to get caught up in thinking that we need to look good, that we need to present ourselves on the outside as taking care of ourselves. But what about the spiritual life? Do you take up four, five, six hours every day to take care of your soul? Or maybe you go to the gym for 45 minutes. Do you spend that equal amount of time taking care of your soul? Or maybe you go to the gym for 30 minutes. Do you spend 30 minutes in prayer? Or maybe you go to the gym just to, to build up a sweat and you're only there for 15 minutes. Do you spend 15 minutes in prayer? Do you work up a sweat in the spiritual life? Certainly this is an image that Paul would have us thinking about. He's very detailed, <laughs> talking about not only a race, but also a boxing match. And we should be reminded about something here. I was going through some of these commentaries. In Roman times, boxers uh, fought with leather bands around their fists and sometimes wore metal-filled leather hand coverings, which resulted in what? Bloody duels to the death. Often facial disfigurement was not the least of its effects, but death was. And my point is this. Paul is not messing around. He uses a very graphic and detailed metaphor to get our attention. And so when I talk about how we spend our time at our local fitness center, hopefully we are beginning to grab a hold of the importance of what we are talking about here. That is, take that time you are spending with what you look like, whether it be six hours, five hours, four hours, an hour, half hour, 15 minutes, and make sure at, you are at the very least equaling that time in prayer, if not more. What you'll find on the other side of it is a life that gives glory to God. Amen? Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.